Hello and welcome back to the St. James Podcast, a weekly look at a gospel story and a reflection on the meaning it might have. My name is Mike, I'm a priest at St. James Church in Dundas, Ontario. I want to thank you for taking this time to listen and reflect with me. We are now well into the season of Lent. That's a time for Christians of 40 days leading up to Easter. In the early church, this time evolved as a season of preparation for newcomers to the faith getting ready for baptism. And that only happened once a year at Easter. Eventually, of course, it became a seasonal call for all Christians to intensify and deepen the practice of their faith through fasting, praying, learning and renewing their commitment to the way of Jesus in the way they shape their lives. One of the first steps then each year for me is to revisit this person of Jesus and to remind ourselves who he was and what call through him God makes upon our lives. And so with that in mind, we turn today to the Gospel of St. Mark, chapter 8, verses 31 to 38. And you can read along in a Bible if you have one to hand, any translation works, uh, or simply just take a moment to yourself to be still and to focus your mind on these words from the Gospel. Then Jesus began to teach them that the Son of Man must undergo great suffering and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests and the scribes, and be killed, and after three days rise again. He said all this quite openly, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and looking at his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan! For you are setting your mind not on divine things, but on human things. He called the crowd with his disciples and said to them, If any one wants to become my follower, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake and for the sake of the gospel will save it. For what will it profit them to gain the whole world and forfeit their life? Indeed, what can they give in return for their life? Those who are ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of them the Son of Man will also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Who do you say that I am? That's the question that Peter has just answered prior to this passage in the Gospel. And Peter has made the bold proclamation that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. And Jesus has affirmed him in that confession of faith. But semantics and assumptions abound in human thinking. Two people can say exactly the same thing, the same words, and understand it completely differently. It's why scientific and legal language work so hard to be precise. Peter has said Jesus is the Messiah. That's a Hebrew word translated in Greek as Christos or Christ. And in English, it means anointed one. And the Hebrew scriptures find others anointed or the Messiah of God. 
noticeably of course King David, the shepherd boy anointed to be king. But also some interesting ones like Isaiah 45 we find Cyrus, the king of Persia, who liberates the Israelites from their exile in Babylon. He's said to be God's Messiah, God's anointed one. And the Jewish faith had evolved a messianic expectation by the time of Jesus, that God would send someone or something again, although who and what that looked like was up for much debate in Jewish circles. For many, though, it assumed that this Messiah would be triumphant over the enemies of Israel, like the Hellenistic and then subsequent Roman conquerors and occupiers. So, when Jesus follows up on Peter's confession of faith, with the prediction of his own suffering, death and resurrection, Peter's deeply held and probably cultural assumptions were offended, shocked even. And so in a rather unique moment of the Gospel, he, a disciple, rebukes the rabbi. You know, it's always impressed me, the stories told about Peter through the Gospels. He's a a walking failure. He fails to understand. He fails to walk on water. He fails to acknowledge Jesus outside the trial at his, uh, before his crucifixion. And yet, this person identified with so many stories of failure would go on to be one of the key leaders of the early church. And these embarrassing stories about him are carefully preserved and retold. Perhaps that happens so that we, the reader, might identify with that one who made assumptions, whose faith was found wanting, and who was frightened, and understand that God's grace is big enough for us too, as it was for Peter. But here in the story, Jesus has some harsh words for Peter. Get behind me, Satan. Your mind is not on divine things, but on human things. Now, Satan, we should remember, is not the devil of Christian tradition, but the angel who tempts, as he does in the book of Job. Peter's image of the Messiah must have been tempting for Jesus. How much nicer it would have been for Jesus to be hailed a king rather than suffer and die. And the great irony of this will be played out, of course, in Holy Week on Palm Sunday before Good Friday. But Peter's mind was shaped by human ideals, the lens of his culture and his religious upbringing. And he was expecting not God's plan or God's ideas or God's way, but his own. And so we have here a reminder in this gospel story that our assumptions about God may be shaped by our particular traditions or denominational norms, from the hymns we were taught and the Bible that had been cherry-picked for us, or perhaps simply the privileges and education and cultural assumptions that have moulded us. It is a human desire to put God in our box or to make God in our own image. But so having rebuked Peter, Jesus calls a whole crowd around him and he talks about what it costs to be a disciple. A disciple must also take up the cross and follow in the way of Jesus. And Jesus paints here discipleship as an all or nothing decision. The disciples, too, must be willing to sacrifice even their life, and of course we know historically many of them will. The triumph of the cross is not cheap. It's not easy. It's painted here as a total giving of oneself, an embrace of the way of Jesus, without picking the parts we prefer. But, of course, we do. 
That's why Lent is so important. To look again at the challenge of the cross and ask ourselves how we can give more of ourselves to this way. Because, let's be honest, few of us give up everything to follow Jesus. So it's worth asking this Lent, what could we give up? Can we make a financial donation to charity? Maybe we could sort out our home, our closets, our possessions, and give some up, make our lives more simple, less weighed down by materialism. Can we give up some computer time or TV time to prayer? There are so many ways to take stock of what we have and assume as our own and give ourselves a little more to following Jesus. Again, few of us will give up our homes and wander about as Jesus did to share faith and healing and hope. But perhaps we can spend time this Lent being intentional about sharing our faith, starting with knowing our own story, writing out for ourselves, articulating what Jesus means and why it matters to us. Take a moment to invite friends to church, even if it's just sending a Facebook link or a a YouTube video from your church saying, check this out, this message meant something to me. Or, how about this hymn and song? The words inspire me. Or perhaps you get a chance to offer to pray for someone. In all these ways, we can put our faith out there. What can the cost be? Our reputation? People may see us differently. But we will have stepped out into the world with that cross boldly displayed. And again, more privately, few of us like to think of ourselves as sinners. Certainly in the West these days, we're taught to focus on achievements and strengths, and and that's great. But we could turn those things around to give thanks to God for the many gifts and talents he's given us. And what if we spent some time in confession? I mean, you can confess with a priest, but just in your own prayer time, putting ourselves out there before God and acknowledging our weaknesses, acknowledging faults and failures and asking for forgiveness and help. Perhaps to take up the cross, we also need to put down our pride. I pray that you may be bold in the journey of Lent, stepping out of the comfortable places to take up the cross of Christ. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, who calls us to take up our cross and follow, give us grace to lay aside selfish pride or vain ambition, to give ourselves wholeheartedly to you, knowing that all we have and all we are has come from you. May we take up your cross knowing its challenge and carry it with you in faith and hope and love, and know at its end lies life in all its fullness. Amen. Thank you for joining me. Go safely and God bless you.